Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome back to Bring Home Sandrine, a podcast covering the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan. This is episode nine, The Right to Information. My name is Graham Crowley. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been created for an adult audience. There is discussion about suicide and death, so listener discretion is advised. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. In past episodes, we covered the where and the when of Sandrine's disappearance and the how and the why of her arriving at 123 Tomlinson Road that fateful Friday, 13 July 2012. And I, for one, was ready to accept Sandrine left that property that day, willingly or unwillingly. As with any investigation, new information always pops up. Sandrine had two mobile phones. One, she purchased the day she disappeared. She must have reached the decision to commit suicide after buying that phone. Would you consciously decide to buy a phone if you intended to kill yourself later that day? Apparently, Sandrine used one phone to make calls and the other to receive calls. Why you would do that, I do not profess to understand. What happened to Sandrine's phone that it needed replacement? depends on who you talk to. Some say her previous phone dropped in the toilet. Others say she smashed it in frustration at the barrage of SMS messages she was receiving from one of the three males in her life at that time. No doubt the Queensland Police Service file addressed that issue and we shall find out the real reason in due course once the file is received if the Queensland Police decide to release the file under RTI legislation. I was always under the impression Sandrine's phones and shoulder bag disappeared along with her. I don't know why. Perhaps because one expects that to be the case. Someone goes missing, they take their personal possessions with them. That was my thinking anyway. In just the last week, I have seen an email from the police investigator to the family, dated 2014, in which the comment was made that the QPS had possession of Sandrine's two phones and her bag. This came as a complete shock to me. Initially, I was sceptical and re-read the email closely. It said exactly that, and the family confirmed the contents to me. It transpires the phones and bag were recovered from John's place at 123 Tomlinson Road. So, instead of just the jacket being left at the front gate, we now have her personal belongings left behind at the time of her disappearance. 
My first thought was, what woman gets up and leaves without her phone in her handbag or shoulder bag, call it what you like? The jacket I could understand. The phones and the handbag I cannot. Is that even possible? Was this a reason Queensland police concluded Sandrine committed suicide? We heard how distracted Sandrine would become if she could not find her laptop. I expect she would have been similarly distracted without her phone or her shoulder bag. We know John has said Sandrine went out the front of the property and was never seen again. John later told Jordan family members she ran out the back toward the creek and disappeared. Hence the phone calls and texts late at night to search the back of the property. There are questions over how well the property was searched, but investigator Taz searched the property again with a cadaver dog. If Sandrine was at the front of the property and recognised someone approaching, it is unlikely she willingly went with them, leaving her phone and bag behind, my opinion anyway. It is now even more important to read the results of the Queensland Police investigation. And if any of you have had experience with RTI, Right to Information, and previously known as FOI, Freedom of Information, I'm sure you agree with me, it is a heartache waiting to happen. Dealing with public servants who sometimes appear to take delight in refusing your application for information. When I met the Jordan family in December 2022, I discovered the family had only limited information from the Queensland Police Service and certainly not the results of the police investigation. Essentially, the only information they had was several emails from the police detective handling the case and the coroner's report. And the contents of that coroner's report are less than desirable. The Jordan family had heard of but had not applied under RTI legislation. In years gone by, I had undertaken many FOI requests and shuddered at the thought of dealing with them again. I had hoped those matters were behind me. My clear recollection was frustration, always. Frustration with the process the seemingly endless refusals for what could only be considered petty reasons. The case of Graham Stafford, who had his conviction for murder quashed in 2009, is the classic example. After the dust of the court results settled and the continued uproar over the investigation, the Queensland Police agreed to review their original murder investigation. After the investigation was completed... The service refused to release the findings and refused to release the report to Graham Stafford's solicitors under RTI legislation. It took eight years of repeated RTI applications and appeals to secure the heavily redacted report. After refusal to release, the matter would be referred to QCAT, the Queensland Civil Administration Tribunal, for arbitration. QCAT would invariably uphold the appeal and order the QPS to release the report. On one occasion, the QCAT member castigated the QPS 
for refusing to release the report. On that occasion, the QPS agreed to release the report and then immediately lodged an appeal, citing a different reason for doing so, and the process would start over again. The fight to get the unredacted report continues. It is now 11 years since the report was completed. After reading the redacted report, it became instantly clear why Queensland Police so vigorously defended the release of the report. The report was designed and written to settle unrest in the public arena. Noisy journalists and individuals, me included, who were questioning the actions of the original investigators. Fabricating evidence and perjury in a murder trial are, after all, not insignificant matters. We can only wildly speculate what will be found in the areas of the report that was redacted. The Jordan family lodged an RTI application in mid-December 2022 to obtain the police file in relation to Sandrine's disappearance. This podcast has been paused, awaiting the receipt of the police files. I did expect the family would receive them in January 2023. The application has now been refused two times, most recently on 22 February 2023. I assisted the family to lodge the initial RTI application. As it was many years since I had been involved in any type of RTI matter, I asked an acquaintance to assist. This woman's job is to lodge RTI applications on behalf of a large organisation. That is her job. She is a professional RTI lodger. And here we are, two refusals from Queensland Police later. Says it all, really. The family have answered the further objections the RTI officer raised, and the game continues. Frustration is the word that comes to mind again. It is crucial to understand what investigations the Queensland Police conducted and more importantly, what investigations they didn't conduct. And from there, we can start to understand what areas or matters we should be looking at. And whilst the three men in Sandrine's life, John, Brad and Ian, have been cleared of any involvement in Sandrine's disappearance, it is important to understand what investigations Queensland Police undertook. Whilst I accept these men have been cleared of any involvement, we may need to look at their associates. After all, it was someone close to Sandrine that is at the centre of this, of that I am sure. Who knows until we see the file. And more bad news. Sandrine had two laptop computers. The Jordan family have them. I arranged for an IT person to examine both laptops. He was given a brief to look for emails, documents, videos and deleted files. We heard previously that Sandrine said her life was in danger. She had sent an email to the wrong person. We do not know what Queensland Police found when they had the laptops examined. They did say they found a video they could not bear to watch. More reasons to read their report. My IT guy found only family photographs on the first computer. Hundreds of family photographs, mainly of her children. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Some family videos. No emails, no deleted files, and no video too unbearable to watch. He was unable to access the hard drive on the second laptop. John told me that he has been undertaking IT work for over 30 years. He has never seen a hard drive with the level of encryption on it that is on Sandrine's second computer. He simply could not get past the password. I wondered whether police placed the encryption on the hard drive, and if so, why would they? I contacted a recently retired homicide detective. He told me it would be unlikely Queensland Police would place encryption on the computer. There would be no reason to. He thought they would have been able to crack the password. More reasons to read their report. I have previously covered the coroner's report in relation to Sandrine's disappearance. On that basis alone, I believe this matter should go back to the coroner. You may recall the report was five pages and a few lines long. 63 dot points of information. In episode 2, I compared that report to the coronial investigation of police officer Mick Isles, which ran to 58 pages. That was not the most appropriate matter to compare it to, particularly as Mick was a police officer and on duty at the time of his disappearance. Listener Barbara recently directed me towards another missing person, Monique Club and suggested I read the coronial report in relation to that, which I have now done. And this is a valid disappearance and coroner's report to compare to Sandrine's. Monique Club, 24 years, lived with her mother and sister in Harvey Bay, about three hours north of Brisbane. Monique left Harvey Bay on 20 June 2013 to travel to Brisbane with friends for a few short days. It was completely out of character not to stay in touch with her family, particularly over this lengthy period of time, 10 years. Monique was last seen leaving a shopping centre in Bean Lee on 22 June 2013 and walking across a nearby creek. The creek was less than one metre deep. She was seen to walk up the bank on the other side. She has not been seen since. No remains have ever been found. Her bank accounts have not been accessed since that date. Her family and friends have not heard from her. It is very likely she is deceased. Police conducted extensive ground and air searches looking for her. Police concluded she died of a drug overdose or was murdered. A coroner's inquest was held in December 2021. The coroner found Monique to be deceased. She found that how Monique died could not be determined. Now compare the two reports. Sandrine's disappearance was a coronial investigation where the coroner based her findings on the contents of the police report 
and completed a five-and-bit-page report. 63 dot points. There was no court hearing. No witnesses called to give evidence. No questioning of whether Sandrine went out the front of 123 Tomlinson Road or disappeared out the back of 123. The men in her life at that time were not called to account for their whereabouts or actions. There are already rumours one of the three men has confessed to lying to police about his whereabouts on the day Sandrine went missing. More about that in a later episode. Sandrine's death was ruled suicide. Monique's disappearance was the subject of a coroner's inquest. The inquest was held in open court over four days. Nineteen witnesses were called and gave sworn evidence. The coroner's findings extended to 36 pages and 210 dot points. Her cause of death ruled undetermined. What was the difference between Sandrine's disappearance and Monique's disappearance that one resulted in a coroner's investigation while the other was the subject of an inquest? I believe had Sandrine's disappearance been the subject of an inquest, there would not be all these question marks still swirling around her last hours. Sandrine would be considered the neglected poor cousin in this instance, that's for sure. I have read the legislation surrounding the coroner's obligations. This is what is written. When is an inquest held? Very few coronial investigations proceed to inquest. However, an inquest must be held if the death occurred in custody, if the death occurred while a person was in care and there are issues about the care, if the death occurred as a result of police operations, unless the coroner considers an inquest isn't needed, if the Attorney-General directs that an inquest be held, if the State Coroner orders an inquest to be held, if the District Court upholds an appeal against a coroner's decision not to hold an inquest. After reading the report in relation to Sandrine's disappearance and the report in relation to Monique's disappearance, I see nothing that would suggest one should receive a cursory investigation and the other a full inquest. The coroner's report in relation to Monique mentioned nothing about being directed to hold an inquest by the Attorney-General or the State Coroner. I decided to write to the State Coroner seeking clarification. I have sent this email. Dear State Coroner, I am broadcasting a podcast into the disappearance of Sandrine Emanuel Jordan, who was declared deceased on 2 June 2016. There are two matters I would like to raise with you regarding the coronial investigation held into Sandrine's disappearance. I find it extraordinary the coroner found Sandrine committed suicide, given no body and no remains have ever been found. Point 60 of the report refers. I believe that finding to be unprecedented. Would you care to comment on that? I would like to draw your attention to the comparison of how your coroner dealt with these two disappearances. Sandrine Jordan disappeared 2012. No remains recovered. Death threats received. 
subject of a coronial investigation consisting of six pages and 62 dot points, ruled suicide. Monique Irene Club disappeared June 2013. No remains recovered. Death threats received. Subject of a coronial inquest held over four days. 19 witnesses called to give evidence. A report comprising 36 pages and 210 dot points ruled undetermined. After reading the details on the Queensland Government website when an inquest is held, and after reading the coroner's report in relation to Miss Club's disappearance, her case did not appear to qualify for an inquest to be held. It is more than regrettable that so many unanswered questions remain surrounding the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan, hence my podcast. To prevent any possible breach of privacy, perhaps you can comment generally on why one missing person case receives a coronial investigation and another similar missing person case receives a coronial inquest. I await your advices, Graham Crowley. If and when I receive a reply, I shall advise. I am not suggesting that Monique Club did not deserve a coronial inquest. I am suggesting Sandrine Jordan did deserve a coronial inquest. There are any number of missing persons, particularly in the Caboolture area, we could compare to Sandrine's shabby treatment, but I think the point has been made. However, in due course, I do want to look at the cases of missing women Jennifer Kilkenny, missing from 1 January 2012, Tina Green, Missing from 18 January 2012. Gail Lynch. Missing from 3 July 2012. Tenya Buckland. Missing from 11 August 2013. And Barbara Troughton. Missing from 27 January 2016. None of these women have ever been found. There are others I could add to the list. I want to know what... If anything, any of those women had in common with Sandrine. For instance, we already know Jennifer Kilkenny disappeared only a short distance from where Sandrine was living on 1 January 2012. Members of the Jordan family know members of the Kilkenny family. We know Sandrine knew Gail Lynch. The name of one of the three men in Sandrine's life pops up in the case of missing woman Barbara Troughton. And that is all without even really digging. At an appropriate time, I expect to recommend to the Jordan family to contact the state coroner with a request to reopen Sandrine's case. But I do not think this is yet the appropriate time. Judging from what has turned up so far, I expect the police report will hold even more surprises, if we ever see it. That's it for the right to information. Please join me again as we follow the evidence trial of what happened to Sandrine. If you follow the podcast, you will be advised when a new episode drops. If you like the podcast, please rate and review it for me. It does help others find the podcast. The Facebook page is Missing Sandrine Jordan. You can message me privately on Facebook 
at Graham Crowley Podcast Investigations or email me at graham5353 at live.com. This podcast was made possible with the awesome assistance of the ACAST Creator Network. Music, Inevitable Hope by RKVC. You'll find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode. Thank you for listening. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.